Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. We'll be reading Colossians 2, verse 20 through chapter 3, verse 17. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perished as they were used, according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in prompting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscure talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Glory be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word. And, and this passage is just so rich. Uh, Lord, help us to, to just pause a, a bit and just to sit at your feet. And we pray that you would just teach and, and instruct us. Um, Lord, please renew our minds. Lord, change, change our, our wills and uh, purify our affections that they might be set upon you. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, lest you get concerned, uh, my intention was to preach through uh, verses 1 through 17 this morning. Uh, I just can't do it. It's just too much that's there. So we're going to back it down a little bit. So as you look at the clock, you can sort of go, Phew. I'm not saying it's going to be short, but it's just not going to be as long as it could be. So anyway, 
But uh, for those of you that are uh, visiting with us today, we're, we actually are in the middle of a series on sanctification, on what it means for us to grow in Jesus Christ. Our theme for the year, we have a theme every year as a church, and this year it is to be devoted to God. And what does that look like? What does that mean to be devoted to God, to be given ourselves uh, to Him? Well, to understand that, we have to understand what Christ has done for us and who we are in Him. And so we've been looking at various New Testament passages, and, and even as we do uh, to understand sanctification, we, we realize that the texts we've been looking at are very much related to one another. Uh, they, they really come in, in different sizes, and, and they sort of fit into each other and dovetail with one another. It sort of reminds you of those Russian dolls, right? You know what those are, kids, where those dolls that you have and could take the top off and inside the doll is another doll and you take off that lid and there's another doll and you take off another and it just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller right they all sort of fit together like that and that's sort of what these passages are like that we've been looking at and part of that is the apostle paul is zealous not only to see people come to faith in jesus christ but to grow in christ as well and so he writes letters to all the different churches and he explains what the sanctification is to look like. And the beauty is, we get all the letters. And so we can look at the different letters and see what they say and sort of compare them and see how they, they fit together. Uh, for example, one of the passages that we looked at earlier was Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a glorious passage. But what does it mean that the life that I now live, I live, or the life I now live I, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God? What does that look like? As you walk out those doors, what, what does that mean for the way you live your week? Well, that's what we see here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. So over the next at least next couple weeks, if not a third week, uh, we'll be looking at this and uh, sort of unpacking it a little bit. But before we do, let me just uh, give you a little bit of background on the book of Colossians. From what we know, Paul had not met the Christians at Colossae that he was writing to. Um, actually, while Paul was, it's believed that while Paul was ministering in Ephesus for three years, that one of his co-workers, Epaphroditus, made his way down to Colossae, and he actually is the one that preached the gospel to the city of Colossae and planted the church that is here. But now Paul gets word that this small church in Colossae is struggling. Uh, false teachers had come in to spread their lies about the Christian life. Now think about it. These are baby Christians. These are people who haven't been believers that long. And here are Christians who have been delivered. They, their sins have been forgiven. They have been delivered from the reign or the dominion of sin in their life. Um, and so they were experiencing joy in the Lord. Now, I don't know if you remember that. I don't know. You know, some of us are, are pretty old to think back that long ago to when we came to faith in Christ. You know, that's, that's been a few years ago. But, you know, do you remember that? Just that joy in the Lord as you come to faith in him. And that's what they were experiencing. But, you know, 
as is the case, time goes on, right? And these Christians begin to realize that they were still sinners. Yeah, it's true their sins were forgiven, and it's true that that sin no longer reigned over them. They didn't have to sin, but they did. And they were struggling with this. And the presence of sin in their life was, was difficult. And as we talked about last week, in, in the life of every believer is this battle between the flesh and, and the Spirit of God. And they were experiencing that. And it was at that point in their lives as young Christians where they were susceptible to these false teachers, these wolves that were coming in in sheep's clothing to come alongside them and say, hey, what you have believed in Christ is fine, okay? But if you want the fullness of the Christian life, if you really want to know what it means to live as a Christian, then you need to give yourself over to asceticism, to the practice of strict self-denial and sacrifice. And so if you look back at chapter 2, verse 16, you see that Paul is, is addressing things like matters of food and drink. He's talking about religious days. Verse 18, he's talking about worshiping angels. There was all these mixtures of this false teaching of what makes a person real spiritual visions in verse 18. And Paul looks at all this stuff and he says in verse 23, he said, these have indeed an appearance of, of wisdom. They have an appearance of wisdom. I could understand how you think that this would be a good thing, but it is a wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, they can't help you to stop sinning. You can focus on the outside of you all you want and your practices and stuff, but that's not going to deal with the sin that's in your heart. And so he warns them that these things are of no value to the Christian. Now, we need to hear this, brothers and sisters, because we struggle with sin too as well, do we not? And, and do we not look at, at all kinds of different ways to deal with our sin? You know, I, I wrestle with pornography, so, so what do I do? Okay, well, if I wrestle with pornography, I need to get a filter for my computer. And we, we have all these things that we do to try to address it. And, you know, that, I'm, I'm not knocking that stuff. That, that can be very helpful. But that doesn't deal with the sin of my heart that is there. You know, I may struggle with uh, overspending and not living within my means. And so, you know, maybe what I need to do is I... I go on a cash budget. I, I have cash envelopes and I pay for cash for everything. So to help me, not a bad thing. But that doesn't deal with the sin of the heart. And Paul says here, you know, that this is of no value. Because you see, the fullness of the Christian life is not what we do for Christ. But the fullness of who Christ is. And if you go back and read Colossians 1, and I wish we had time this morning to do that. Colossians 1 talks about the wonderful fullness of Christ. He is the fullness of the Godhead. And it talks about everything that he has done for us. Christ has united those who believe in him on this earth with Christ who is in heaven. And, and the fullness 
of everything that Christ has in glory is ours through union with Christ. And so for the Christian to lower his eyes to things of this world, to, to think, okay, all I have to do is just do these certain practices, is really to miss the glory of, of who Christ is and what he has given us in union with him. And we talked about uh, what that union looks like, that we are united with Christ as his Holy Spirit dwells in us, but also we are... We, Christ is in us through his Holy Spirit. We are in Christ as we walk by faith, believing the promises that he has given us and living our life that way. And if, if Christ is yours, then you have all the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wanted these Colossian believers to see. You don't need something more than Jesus. So drink from no other fountain than the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's the message for us today. You need nothing more than Jesus Christ. And so understand what it means to live in the fullness of Christ. And as you do every other secret to living the Christian life will look cheap and, and a fake, just like it really is, because it's only in Christ. So Paul lays out in our passage what that means to be united to Christ. And, and actually, um, the, the three points of, of this sermon on these 17 verses, uh, the first point is that they were given a new identity in verses 1 through 4. And then in verses 5 through 11, we're going to look at, hopefully next week, then what it means to put off that old lifestyle. And then uh, verses 12 through 17 to see what it means to put on that, that new lifestyle. And so uh, I just want to cover the first point today. That's it, just verses 1 through 4. In these opening verses, Paul goes beyond the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. Okay, it's just he doesn't stop there. He expounds upon that a little bit more. He points out that for the Christian, you have been circumcised in the circumcision of Christ. You have died in the death of Christ. You have been buried in the burial of Christ. You have been raised in the resurrection of Christ. And you have ascended in the ascension of Christ. And so much so that your life now is truly hidden with Christ in God. And that's what he talks about in verse 1. Because if then you have been raised with Christ, seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, that if is a little deceiving. Because oftentimes we use if to mean like, well, if this is true, but it may not be, it may be true. So is it true? Is it not true? But that's not how Paul is using this word if here. The if is not to raise the question about whether you have or have not been raised with Christ. Really, probably a better translation, you know, and the point of this word is because you have been raised up with Jesus Christ. Look back, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Our being raised with Christ is not a question. It is a reality. It's a truth that is true of us. Paul also writes about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. 
And he said, And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Now, in the Greek, this is a, in the past tense, which means it's a past action, something that's already happened. And whenever someone, uh, a Greek speaker, wanted to say something that was already done and that was absolutely irrevocable, it couldn't be changed, and, and he said it in the past tense. And so that's what he's saying here. That's what our life is like. We have been raised with Christ, past tense, irrevocable. It's just a fact, folks. You can't get away from it. And, the, and, and that happened the moment you came to Christ. You, you were dead in your sins, as Ephesians 2, 5 said. And then you were made alive together with Christ, and you were saved by grace, and you were instantaneously raised up and given a place in the heavenlies in Christ. Spiritually speaking, you ascended and, and your affections were occupied with Christ. You love Christ. You, 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 you have come to know him and to delight in him. So if we are in Christ, we are so secure in Christ that my life is hidden with Christ in God. What does John say about our relationship between us and God? John Chapter 10, verse 28 says, I give them eternal life. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. Brothers and sisters, you have to understand you have a place in the church. Okay? I mean, I see so many people today that don't know if they fit in. That so many young people that are struggling with anxiety and worry and they just wonder, you know, do I belong? Do I have a place? But you more than have a place in the church. You have a place with Jesus. He loves you. You are secure in him. And he will hold you fast. Nothing can harm you without going through him. Because we are hidden in Christ with God. Now, what, what does that mean that we're seated in the heavenlies? Well, to answer that question, I think we sort of have to ask ourselves, what does that mean for Christ? What does it mean that Christ is resurrected, ascended, he's a throne, enthroned in heaven? And, you know, that could take a long time to answer that question completely. So let me just give you a few ideas, okay, that, that maybe sort of hits some of the highlights. First of all, Christ's resurrection, his ascension, and his seating at the right hand of the Father points to the reality that he has brought into the world a new creation. He has brought into the world a new creation. Uh, Adam's sin brought man into the bondage of sin and death, and it brought all of creation into bondage. Why? Isn't that what Romans says? The creation groans, it yearns. It's, it's, it's the, the creation is wearing out like a garment. It's just, it wants to be set free from that. And Christ, through his death and through his resurrection, has undone the curse. Jesus has liberated man from the death sentence, from the judgment that we so rightly deserve. Jesus has liberated all those who trust in him from the power of death, and, and his resurrection marks the beginning of a new creation. And so his resurrection marks the beginning of when the first man triumphs over the curse, free from its every sense. It marks the beginning of a new creation life in this world. And brothers and sisters, that's good news for us. Because we still live in this fallen world. But, but Paul is saying to us 
But you have this new creation life in you, even though you're not in heaven yet. Even, even though you still live here on this earth, the life you live is different than the life that your neighbor lives, who doesn't know Jesus Christ. You have been set free in Christ. And His ascension and enthronement, not only does it mark the beginning of a new creation, but it also signifies His kingdom has been established on earth. And He is ruling over all things at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is not only the second Adam that's brought that new creation, but He's also the King of kings and Lord of lords who rules, who rules over all of the enemies, all His enemies, and all the enemies of His people. Now, that should give us great comfort. I know we live in a world that is very fickle, you know, and we, we watch the rulers of our country, we watch the policies of our country, we see economic trends happening, and there's just plenty in the world to worry about, is there not? But brothers and sisters, I want you to know all of that is under the footstool of Jesus. Jesus rules over all those things. Even the struggles that you have with the sin that just see, keeps ensnaring you and grabbing you and causing you to, to, um, to, to break the heart of your Savior, all of that is under the footstool of Jesus. He rules over all his enemies. He even rules over us. And so our union with Christ in those events means that we have been brought into those realities. We have been brought into new creation life through His resurrection. That, that doesn't just mean that one day, that one day we're going to be resurrected, but we live a resurrected life even now. Paul tells us in chapter 2 that through the resurrection, we have already been made alive with the glorious power of God with this new life. We already have a new creation life at work in us through the resurrection of Christ. Look at verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 20. We are part of that new creation. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to experience that. Therefore, because you're a Christian, you've been united to Christ. Because you have been raised with Christ, therefore, set your affections on things above. Set your desires, brothers and sisters. Kids, Set the things that you yearn for, your, your heart, your affections on spiritual things. The spiritual blessings and the principles which are found only in Christ. As new creations, we are part of the kingdom of God, of the new order in the world that is to come. And so while we do live in this world, our eyes are fixed upon another kingdom and another rule. And Paul tells us, tells the Philippians that our new citizenship is in heaven. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse, verse 20. Now, now, why does he tell us that? Well, because if you're going to talk about how to live the Christian life, you have to start with who you are, who your identity is. Do you know who you are? And these things define who we are as Christians. We... We do a lot, we define ourselves in a lot of ways, do we not, as people? Uh, you may define yourself by your work. If somebody asks, who are you, what do you, you know, how are you doing, things like that, you may talk about work. You may define yourself by your family or some other relationship. Maybe you define yourself by your abilities or your talents. 
Maybe you even define yourself by your successes and your failures. That's, that's common as well. Some people uh, who just seem to be weighted, uh, who profess faith in Christ, but just seem to be under the burden of the weight of sin, and they don't understand the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ, they will define themselves from their past sins. And they just sort of wallow in those defeats that they have had in their Christian walk. And yet, brothers and sisters, all these things will pass away. But who we are in Christ endures for all eternity. Turn, if you would, with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, just stop and just reflect on that one verse for the rest of the afternoon, okay? I'll just wait while you do that, okay? You just reflect upon that. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellency. That is a marvelous verse. A great statement about the reality that Jesus has granted us the power we need to live the Christian life. But then look at verse 4. He even opens it up more. And he said, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. You see, this is that side that I've been talking about in union with Christ. Christ is in us in the sense that the Holy Spirit lives in us, but we are in Christ in the sense that, that we uh, are given His great and precious promises that we might partake, that we might keep those promises, that we might live according to those promises. And as we do, we are partakers of the divine nature. And we escape this corruption of this world. We live this new life in Christ. We live as new creation. Amen? Not because we're super spiritual or we've been in the church for a while or we've been a Christian for longer than a decade. Not because of all those things, but because of what Christ is doing in us. It's sometimes hard to think of ourselves as new creations as we live in a fallen world and we struggle with sin, right? I mean, can you, can you relate to that? It sometimes is very difficult because our default as we're born into this world is that we are a sinner. And so oftentimes, even as Christians, that's our identity. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm saved, but I'm a sinner. You know, and I just expect I'm going to sin more. And I just sort of resign myself that I'm going to sin more. It's just so much easier to give in to sin and the sinful life. Now, because of that struggle, what does Paul say in verse 1? Keep on seeking. Okay, that's actually literally what it means in the Greek. Keep on seeking. It's an ongoing, continuous action. Christians are to, to continually be seeking after the reality of who they are in Jesus Christ. Because we forget. Because Satan comes and he tempts us to think otherwise. But he says here, so keep on seeking who you are in Christ. Now how? Well, first of all, to set your minds on the things that are above. Verse 2. Not on the things that are on earth. In other words, fill your heart 
with Christ. Now, we know as we studied the topic of the heart in Sunday school that when we're talking about the heart, we're talking about the mind, we're talking about our wills, and we're talking about our affections. And, and so, you know, the way we sort of put it in the modern vernacular is this, that right thinking leads to right actions, which leads to right feelings, right? Because it's as the Word of God fills our minds that we set our minds on these things. And we looked at, we saw this in Romans chapter two, 12, verse 2, right? That we are to set our minds on, on the things above. We're to have the renewing of our mind. And so uh, we have that sense that we are focused upon Jesus Christ. Now, I know I've, you've probably heard the term union with Christ more in the last four weeks than you probably ever heard in your entire life. Maybe even more so than if you read John Owen. I really doubt that one. But, you know, still, it just we've talked a lot about union with Christ. But, but be careful not to set your focus on union with Christ. Rather, set your focus on Christ himself. Otherwise, it's like saying, I think I'm going to spend all my time sort of focusing on having a good marriage and then just totally ignoring your wife or your husband. Isn't that sort of like cutting off your nose to spite your face, right? You don't, you don't set your affections and your attention on your marriage. You set it on your spouse because you love them. And so in the same way, we are to set our minds upon Jesus Christ. Um, so, you know, Satan and the world and the flesh wants to drive a wedge between us and Christ. They want us to focus on our circumstances and our feelings and and drag our view down to earthly things. And so no wonder Paul says, set your minds on the things of Christ. Now, a great question that sort of gets at the center of where... It sort of gets to the, the issue of what we are setting our hearts on. Do you want to know what you're setting your hearts on? Then this is a good question to ask yourself. What do you think about when you have nothing else to think about? What do you think about when you have nothing else to think about? Usually that's the thing that you're setting your heart on. It might be a hobby. It might be your job. It might be your goals to make a certain amount of money by a certain age or, or finish school or whatever. For the Christian brothers and sisters, there's only one thing to think about. And that's Jesus. Now, that may not be where we're at this morning. That may not be where you're at. That may not be where I'm at. And, and we may recognize that. But it could be our hearts cry, Lord, please, Lord, help me to set my mind upon you. Does, does your life reflect someone who is setting their, their heart upon Christ? You know, where, where do you spend your time? You know, if, if, you, if you're sitting down thinking, what, what's the thing I think about when I don't think about anything else? And maybe you're thinking about a hobby. Well, maybe the reason why you think about that hobby so much is that's where you spend your time. You're always on the Internet. You're, you're, you're reading articles about it. You're sort of perusing this, watching YouTube videos about how to do your hobby better or whatever it might be. No wonder that's what we think about because that's what we're setting our minds on. But brothers and sisters, as Christians, we get the privilege of setting our minds upon Jesus Christ. It's, it's sort of like the song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You see, that verb set is in the present imperative too, which means an ongoing action. It's something we need to continually be doing. Uh, the act of seeking depends on what we set our minds upon. We will only seek that which we set our minds upon. And that's why Paul says, both to seek the things that are above and to set your mind on those things. Continually, habitually, daily, on a regular basis, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on this earth. Now, Paul didn't say, then that means you need to ignore all the mundane things of earth. Wives, that doesn't mean you can say, well, Pastor Rick said I don't have to do laundry anymore because that's not a heavenly thing. You know, that's, that's not what I'm saying, obviously. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't concern yourself with your job or your other responsibilities that you have in life. No, but what it does mean is this. That as we live in the midst of the mundane things of life, that we are to be focused upon heavenly matters. That we are to ponder Christ. That we are to, to meditate upon the scriptures that tell us about Jesus and that stir our affections and our love and our intellect for him. We must reflect upon him. You see, people, or excuse me, Paul is looking for people who set their eyes upon Christ and heavenly things to the point that they see earthly things for what they truly are. Paul's after people who are so conscious of their heavenly connectedness that they then begin to live the heavenly life here on earth. That's what he's looking for, as people like that. That we're so connected to heaven that we, we begin to reflect that in our life here on earth. And, and that's the great need of the church, brothers and sisters. The church doesn't need new strategies or new programs. Or brothers and sisters, even in our case, a new building. As much as it would be nice to have a new building with two bathrooms, that'd be great. That's not our greatest need. The need of the church is for new people, new creations, people who walk with Christ. The need of the church is, is not to get the world to ask questions about itself. What the world needs is for Christians to live such heavenly lives here that even in the midst of all of our faults and our failures, that unbelievers are asking us questions. What about the atmosphere in which you live? Your church is so different. Your life is so different. I see something in you that just is amazing. Can you tell me more? That we are being crucified with Christ, yet we live. Yet it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in and through me. Brothers and sisters, let this fullness of who you are in Christ overwhelm you to see who you are. Just very quickly, he also talks about a new destiny in verse four, 3 and 4. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You, Christian, your life is hidden with Christ and God, and, and it always will and the world may not always understand that. And you may at times struggle to, to remember your identity 
as well. But, but Christ in his fullness passes all his fullness into our emptiness. And he gives us everything we need. And, and Paul says that one day that we will be revealed as he is revealed. And I would suggest to you that what he's talking about is we, it will be revealed because we will give, be given new resurrected bodies. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Have you ever thought about yourself and your life in that way? That one day you will stand before the Lord spotless, no moral impurity, no imperfections, absolutely complete in Christ? As you're struggling with the temptations, or maybe you're struggling to, with worry or, or fear, do, do you see yourself in such a way? Paul says, set your mind on Christ. Lightfoot, a uh, commentator, said many years ago, he goes, you must not only seek heaven, but you must think heaven. You must think about heaven. In continually seeking heaven, our, our affections are put there. Thinking of heaven, our thoughts are focused on the things above. I, I really wonder if sometimes... If part of our struggle in the Christian life is because we only want to talk about how we live the Christian life here on this earth and not what is coming for us in heaven as we look to the future. We just don't preach on heaven as much and the glorious realities that are there. But if you see who you are in Christ, then you will see all the, the cheap imitations of spirituality for what they are. And they uh, not only will seek to drag us down but they will not even compare with the fullness of what we have in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, Christian, will you see yourself this way? Brothers and sisters, do you see yourself this way? Is this your identity? That you are in Jesus Christ? That you are so uh, focused upon Christ that your affections are stirred towards Him? I just think of a, a young man who loves a, a young lady, right? He spends time with her. He wants to get to know her. Uh, she, she's like the priority in his life. And as he does that, his affections just emotionally, he just becomes more and more attached to her. It's much the same way with our Savior as well. This is who you really are, brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian. When you came to faith in Jesus, all this was true. You didn't have to wait till you got to a certain point in the Christian life. You don't have to become an elder or pastor or anything like that to, to have this. This is a reality. Of course, Satan doesn't want you to know this. He wants you to feel your failures in the battle between the flesh and the spirit. He wants you to focus on this world and, and, and on the riches of this world and on the responsibilities of this world. Sinclair Ferguson put it really well, and I want you guys to hear this. Man, when I heard this, I thought, i got to write this down. Sinclair Ferguson said, Satan constantly engages in identity theft in the life of Christian believers. That Satan constantly engages in identity theft in the life of Christian believers. That's where we live, brothers and sisters. Satan is seeking to rob you every day 
of the reality of your identity in Jesus Christ. He wants you to see yourself differently. He wants you to not see yourself as more than an overcomer. He wants to see you someone who is just under the burden and the weight of the struggle with sin. But you see that the difference that this makes of understanding who we are in Christ? Now all of a sudden, I'm not just trying to live my life to live a better Christian life. Instead, as I live the Christian life, I'm like, I'm united to Christ. So as I do something, I look at this and I think, does this please Jesus? I'm connected with Him. Does this please Him? And when it doesn't, I don't go, oh, I'm such a failure. I just didn't live up to Jesus' standard. I just say, Jesus, forgive me. And I know He will. And so it's not a sense of I'm trying to live a certain kind of life. I'm just trying to live in Jesus and, and to know Him. So I was trying to think of an illustration I could use to sort of think about this new identity that we have in Christ. And the closest thing I could come up with was the witness protection program, right? Somebody testifies against, you know, a mafia drug lord or something like that. And so you got to disappear. And so what's the first thing they do? They give you a new identity, right? You get a new name, you get a new location, a new occupation, new friends. The old is gone, right? And it needs to be gone because if it's not gone, they may find you and they may kill you, right? So you have this new identity. But what's interesting is, is that everything in your life from that point on has to conform to this new identity in order for you to stay alive. Now, we're not going to die, but, you know, the reality is, is that in Christ, he is at it. Now... If I am united to a crucified and risen Savior, then my whole life is going to be shaped by what it means to be united to such a Savior. And I just want to close with just reading a few verses from 2 Corinthians and stuff. But um, so it, it, let me just say this. So it will be a re reality for all fruitful Christians that they will share in the sufferings as well in the glorious power of Christ. In other words, I want you to understand that part of the Christian life, there is a deep costliness to being united to Christ. I'll just be very honest and upfront with you. It's costly. There is suffering. There is pain. There is hurt. But likewise, there is a profound blessedness in seeing his resurrection power, not only in our lives, but as Christ works through us to even minister to other people who see Christ's power through us. And, and, and because it's just as true of us as it was our Savior when Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And it's the same way with you and I, brothers and sisters. That if we're going to experience that power, if we're going to see God work mightily in your life and in the life of Kirk of the Plains, then we have to die. We have to die. We have to suffer. And so let me just share with you a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians just, just to, to get a picture of who we are, and then I'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. We're going to stop, start at the end of the book and work forward to the front. 2 Corinthians 13, 4 says, For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you we live life with him by the power of God. Now, look at that verse. 
Note, look at what Paul does not say. Paul does not say we are weak in ourselves, but we are strong in Christ. He doesn't say that. Look at the text. I actually missed it the first time. He says we are weak in Christ, and we will be strong in dealing with you, with others. You see, it's not because Paul is outside of Christ that he is weak. Rather, it's because he is united to the crucified Christ and he shares in his sufferings. That's us, brothers and sisters. Our life is one of weakness. It's not about getting our life together and living better. It is a sense of dependence upon Jesus Christ of acknowledging our weakness and saying, but Jesus, I turn to you. Jesus, I look to you to work in and through me. Um, Let me just skip to Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, the Holy Spirit is constantly molding the lives of Christians into that kind of Christ-likeness, a sense of sharing in His suffering, but also seeing the power in His resurrection because we are united to Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, while we are weak, in our walk with the Lord, while we are weak in and of ourselves, He wants to fill us up with Christ. Right? He gives us the fullness of Jesus Christ. Never so we become so strong that we become independent or separate from Christ, but that we might become more dependent upon Jesus Christ. And He wants to fill us also um, so that we might minister to others through Jesus Christ. Um, What a glorious identity that we have, brothers and sisters. Let's take just a moment and and bow our heads and, and, and meditate upon that and pray to the Lord silently.